it's going. All right, well, welcome to VFF. We'll do a little re reintro. Welcome to VFF. Thank you, David. Just David. Um, today we're going to be doing Leaf by Niggle. Uh, this will be the second time that we've done it here at, at VFF. And uh, it was two years ago we did this? It was, it, was, it, was, it was a while ago, so we have some new people. This is what we've decided to go with. It's a different tale of death than the one we just went through. <laughs> there's, there's still a road, there's still a path, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So, um, I'm interested to know how you guys would like to go about this. We didn't discuss this last time. We simply just read through it because it was so short. We just we had people just read and we would stop and discuss. Or did you guys come prepared with things like, hey, I really want to hit this. It was a short read, a short lesson, and so we can just pull apart some of the narratives from there. So I'm up for whatever. Uh, do you guys want to read and discuss, or did you guys come prepared? Read and discuss, yays. There's three. All right, go with the flow. Yays. Cool. I thought was going to flow. Oh, all right. Happen it's happening now. It's happening now. So, all right. So, for those of you who uh, want to just jump in, let's just start this way. What were your favorite parts? What what stood out to you the most? Just give me your initial reactions to Leaf by Niggle. This is uh, how many of you are inter how many of you guys are familiar with Tolkien's writings? Okay, kind of. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's different than Lewis, uh, very much so. So I, I just want to get your initial reactions to the story, and uh, just yeah, give me your thoughts. I think I'll just say it's a matter of first. observations it is the least Tolkien like Tolkien piece that I've ever read yeah. it's refreshing and frustrating at the same time right it's refreshing it's refreshing in the fact that it's just, it's just different and, and it modernizes him a little bit more you know where I'm just so much used to all of his mythic kind of stuff even on Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. I mean, it just like exudes that so well. Then Leaf by Nigga. And then there's a couple others here, like Rover Random, which is like a children's story. You're like, oh, you're like, you're you're down at like a, in whatever way this makes sense, you're down at a George MacDonald, yeah. G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis level. Yeah. And then. <clears throat> It's frustrating because it's not the Tolkien that I know. So I kind of have to just keep that in mind as I engage that. So. Yes, what is this down at the yeah, level? Yeah, what does that I mean? mean? That's what I mean. That's why I said whatever that means is like just the the just the the high transcendency of his language. Oh yeah, the his language, his language. certainly high language. But all of a sudden you're like, oh, you actually are like a 1920s Brit. Yeah. It contemporizes Lord of the Rings is like Greek mythology. It is, it is, is mythology to the core. Where like Narnia is a fairy tale. This is more fairy tale-ish. This is more of a, of a fairy story than than a complete myth you know, in that 
so. It's like an adult fairy story, though, because it definitely yes. contains a lot of adult language, but also, like, you know, yes. allusions that you wouldn't get to the kid. But even as it starts out, there once was a man, yeah. a little man called Nickel. That is how you start a fairy tale out. That's exactly how you start a, a fairy story out. And so, this is not going to be, you know, Sauron and Saruman and, and uh, you know, 50-page songs and, and lyrics and poems and this is this is this is a, this is a story and it's this like just it's like you're sitting down at a, at a front porch and let me tell you about the time about a guy named Niggle it's, that's that's what this is all right what uh, what else struck you in the first part of it what, what is we'll try we'll try to break it up into this the, the chronological sections of how the story flows so what what kind of Right. There once was a man called Niggle who had a long journey to make. So he's setting you up. There's there's a purpose. There's a meaning behind it. We're we're going somewhere. We're starting in we're starting in the middle to the end of the story. You know we're we're, we're jumping in. So what hit you guys in the very beginning about this story? What did, did, did it pull you in? What what kind of questions were you asking that pulling you in? He says he did not want to go, right? Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him. <laughs> he could not get out of it. He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with his preparations. It, it's, uh, it, it's, I'm having a hard time like figuring out <clears throat> re reading it the first time because I've read it a bunch of times. And so I'm trying to remember first impressions, but it... It sets up allegorically very soon, very early, you know, as far as the metaphors of he's got a long journey, he doesn't want to go, he has to... It's, all, it's clearly going to be about death, you know, right. life and death and choices, you know, in a fairy tale kind of way. What do you guys think about this? He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with the preparations. I could relate to Niggles so many times, yeah. over and over and over again. It's like, yeah, that's me. Yes, <laughs> so much. Like, yeah, I know I got. I know I'm gonna die, but oh, I got time. See, I, I'm one of the um, lesser orga organisms of the group when it came to this book. When I first read this book, whatever it was, two and a half years ago, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I read the book, and I was like. I read it and I understood it, but I also didn't understand. I did not know we were jumping into some like, oh, we're getting ready for a journey to death. I was just reading a, a story. Mm -hmm. Beautiful well, tragedy. I have, real dumb, I've, never, I've never read it just by itself. I've always seen it as the end part of uh, Tree and Leaf on fairy stories. Yeah. So uh, maybe that mm -hmm. kind of set oh, me up for that. In fact, I, I always get confused as to whether or not leaf, which is which is the allegory and which is the whole thing, a tree and leaf, or leaf by Nagel. So I was kind of disappointed we're not reading on fairy stories, but you know, we we did they, that already. You, you did that already. Yeah, yeah. But they go good together. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Uh, yeah, so we did on stories with with Lewis, and then on fairy stories with Tolkien. You give the different perspectives on how they how they see story. So yeah, I mean you're 
I feel like you you've been here with us the whole time. Is you're, you're like everything we've done, you've like, oh. yeah, no, yes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Me a lot of Bilbo. I mean, like his oh, character. Yeah. Yeah. He reminded me a lot That's of Bilbo in his mannerisms and the way he, the way he talked and how he has like this internal sort of dialect. Like when, when Gant, he's saying "Good day to you, sir." You know, mm -hmm. to Gandalf is sort of like the same kind of thing where, you know, he's he's curmudgeoning in a <laughs> British way. You know, I think yeah. someone once said that. Tolkien just kind of wrote himself in that role, mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. He kind of wrote, he wrote Frodo as the best part of himself, and then Bilbo is kind of like more like his actual self. Um, and then the, 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 this, since this reminds us of Bilbo, I would say it's probably just him on a lot of levels we could get into, especially yeah. with the art we're not there yet. Because this, do I, am I remembering correctly, did he start writing this story because he saw leaf out his window or something or tree out his window or did I make that up? Yeah, there's like he saw That's the introduction. Is that the introduction? It's the preface, right? Yeah, it's in the preface. He he saw a tree getting chopped down. It got pruned and and then it got cut down and it like came to him one of those all in one night things. Like yeah. he just woke up with the whole story. Just okay. already in his, That's right, in his that's mind. what it was. Mm -hmm. so that was Oh, and I was going to ask you, so have you read The Smith of Wooten Major? Yes. I was wondering, like, it felt like maybe there could be some, maybe that had some similarities or... Yeah, all of, like, anyone that thinks it's in this rendition is all of it, like, oh yeah, you definitely fall within that kind of... Yeah, because I... Group of... I read that when we were in Oxford. Yeah, and they're all Bilbo-esque kind of characters. I like too. Levi Nickel better, though, than Smith of Wooten All right, so I liked this section where it says he was he was the sort of painter who can paint leaves better than trees. Yeah. He used to spend a long time on a single leaf trying to catch its shape and its sheen and its glistening and dew drops on its edges. Yet he wanted to paint a whole tree with all its leaves in the same style and all of them different. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, it's one of the reasons why I like this story because it's like, Certain people can identify with that kind of mindset, mm -hmm. especially those that are like perfectionist people or artistically minded people, or you really imbue yourself in a particular project and trying to make sure, like you know, that the things that you're, you're everything's set up in place, and so you're, it's always the yeah, totally really. <laughs> or a series of projects. So, so how many artists do we have in here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so let's uh, I, let's go to Nickel was a painter, not a very successful one, partly because he had many other things to do. 
What do you make of that? It's like the things of life, the responsibilities, and maybe other things. So it's like the stuff that he really wants to get done is the artistic stuff. He has to take care of all the obligations. At least that's how I see it. Nuisances. Yeah. Nuisances. He calls them nuisances. Yeah. But he identifies as a painter. That's like as he sees himself as an artist. But he's not very successful. However, that doesn't mean he wasn't good, right? Passionate too. Be passionate, not good at something. Yeah, but it says he wasn't successful. That doesn't mean that you're not good at it. That just means that maybe others don't appreciate you. You weren't appreciated in your time, right? You're 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 ahead of your time. And <coughs> go. Yeah. So, um, and what uh, what Randy was reading there, uh, the first part of that is he had a number of pictures on hand. Most were too, did you say, too large and ambitious for his skill. So the the vision was was, was bigger than his ability. Um, and that that is that is the artist, right? That you you have the thing that you want to paint and you aim at it. If you come close to it, you. It's pretty good, right? Because usually something is so so deep. I, you know, I want to write a book that does this. And if you do half the things that you set out to do in a book, probably really did a really good job. Because um, it's very hard to paint a painting. It's very hard to write a book. It's very hard to do anything well uh, um, in life with excellence. Because um, we're limited, right? It's funny. I actually have a painting I've been working on for like two years. And I've like scrapped like par parts of it and started over with white paint. The door is messed up. It's like a picture of a garden, <coughs> and like I keep wanting to focus on the detail and so it gets done. So I can relate. <laughs> well, one of the things he keeps saying too is like the more he worked on it, the more he saw these other things mm. that he needed. So as he would go in, like you might have thought that this was a simple or not picture in the beginning, but the more you know when he painted tree branch you know, open up this need to, to make these these leaves and open up that you gotta have the background you the background you gotta have kind of the broader scenery you gotta have the mountains and the sky and the, and the colors and all of that kind of stuff and it's just a never ever ever ending pursuit towards something towards what is ultimately unachievable and I think that's something that creative types can identify with as well yes. is just this like you're never ever there you're always itchy you're always looking for something else I'm like very autobiographical here too you know yeah. it's just, just like alright but then at the end of the day you got taxes that's why I told you never finish the Silmarillion that's why I told you never finish the Silmarillion yeah. It kept tweaking him. Now, it's like the biggest criticism from his peers too about him was that he wouldn't let it go. He <laughs> just kept tweaking, kept tweaking, kept tweaking. Couldn't even find something else as he went along. But yeah. So when you when you're saying that, I'm thinking of the part that I liked and underlined and sadly related to. Um, and I'm thinking like that sounds like a lot of unorganized intentionality is what I'm hearing from you. But then you read the part about his character. It says he was kind-hearted in a way, you know the sort of kind heart, it made him uncomfortable. 
more often than it made him do anything, and even when he did anything, it did not prevent him from grumbling, losing his temper, and swearing. He did it mostly to himself. Mostly to himself. <laughs> uh, sadly, sorry. Um, and I was like, I wrote down, he's, he is unintentional in developing his inside and his character. And I'm thinking, so if he's developing this, and he's not developing this, and that kind of, I don't know, I'm just twisting it back around to look at myself and going, am I reading a book about myself? This is a little right. embarrassing just now. <laughs> anyway, that's what so I that's what Did I you elaborate stuff. on that? Like, what, <coughs> what do you mean by <coughs> Well, he, he's so, he helps Mr. Parrish because Mr. Parrish has a bad leg, but he's not doing it because he wants to be a good neighbor. He's not yeah. doing it because this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in him. He's not doing it because, like, this is something that's growing inside of him that he just has to go do. He's doing what he has to do because this whole has to be helped because he's got a bum leg and his wife is sick. It's kind of a push over anyway, I guess. But the conscience still is, the, the conscience is still leaving him unsettled and he still does yeah. go yeah. and do it. So that's, that's the prick pushing him is the conscience, even though he's not, he's, he's, he's unconscious, unconscious of the conscience. Yeah. It's, it's, you're saying it's, you think it's pushing him forward into duty. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like I, he's lazy in it. He's not doing it on purpose. He's doing it because it's he's getting a kick in the hind. It's him. making him uncomfortable. Yeah. Is is so Joel's saying that's the, the conscience going, hey, go do this. And but you're saying he's he, if he worked a little bit on himself. <clears throat> He could maybe prioritize things a little, maybe little better. Do, maybe do both. Maybe do both he better. Create a little balance. Or, yeah, a little work, work life balance. Or is he taking responsibility for other people's stuff too? Mm -hmm. That's like he says, he wished other people's troubles did not make him feel uncomfortable. So it's almost like I'm seeing it as him taking responsibility for their, their troubles. So yeah. It's too uncomfortable for him to like sit with it, so he wants to go and help them. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And it's not that he's just. It's not that he's hard-hearted. It says later on, he couldn't get rid of his kind heart. I love that. He said, I, I wish I was more strong-minded, by which he meant that he wished other people's troubles didn't make him feel like Yeah. Well, I think this is the fall, right? Like, there is irony that Tolkien is writing about himself, so he's aware of this, and he's aware that that, that this is both blessing and fault, right? And that he has the kind heart. He also recognizes that human nature part of him. It's like, I'd rather just like shut the door in every, everybody's face and go do my own thing. But yet, I can't do that even though I wish that I could. But I can't do that even though I wish that I could. I love that you mentioned and I'm like, fiddling with the pencils when people came over. Like, you just see it. Like, that's when I was like, oh, that's Tolkien. He's sitting at his desk and students are coming in or whoever. And yeah. Yes, uh-huh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great, good, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very much a, an academic Don kind of mentality of like, oh, well, we have time for all these trivial things, but yet. Hey guys, this is getting a little uncomfortable now. Can we change the subject? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is this what he calls the law, or they call the law earlier? Mm -hmm. Is this just duty-bound? I, I think it was, it's, uh, yeah. It's yeah. an interesting term for it. So that yeah. could be culturally, the, it could be the cultural pressure of, like, I need to do this. 
but something's making him uncomfortable, whether it's duty to culture or duty to his neighbors or something, something that, that's pushing on him. And uh, we were talking, um, so he has this thought, right? And this, I'm going to pull this. There was one picture in particular which bothered him, right? And he began with a leaf caught in the wind, and it became a tree. Okay, so we're, we're, we're critical of him because he could do better. He could, he, could, he, could, he could work on himself a little bit. However, this is also a self-reflect... Oh, did you hit your head against you? Oh, it's nice. That's okay. That's perfect. Sorry. No, it's just, I hate that. Like, ow. Take up your mantle. So, so, so again, we're, we're, we're critical of him, but he, this is also a self-reflection, right? He's just telling you kind of what is about himself. But like many artists, he has a picture that's troubling him. You can't spend your time wrestling out the picture and working on yourself because you kind of become consumed with taking care of the art, because it's something that's, you know, I tell the kids if I'm writing something and they, they come ask me a question, I yell at I'm holding a star, and it means leave me alone, because what I'm, what I'm, I'm, I'm having a thought or a moment that's so transcendent that if you, if you touch me or you bump me, I'm going to lose the whole thing, and it's this, and I, I don't have time to go do chores, but I, I'm stuck in the moment of, of the muse, of, of having a conversation with the muse, and at that point, it's the most important thing to me is, is that conversation with the muse. And you can be in the conversation, you sort of lose time when you're, when you're painting, when you're in that moment. Because, like Randy was talking about, like, you can't, we're never done, we're never finished. Because if you're finished with the art and you know exactly what you're going to do with the book or exactly what you're going to do with the art, and you just do it and you, you're like, I know the beginning, middle, and end of this book, I'm just going to write it. Jordan Peterson says that's propaganda. Like, you didn't wrestle with it. You shouldn't know the ending before you write it. You should start with a question and wrestle that and come to a conclusion. You shouldn't have the conclusion before you write the book. You shouldn't have necessarily the painting all in mind. There should be there should be twists and turns and things that pop up that you didn't expect to find that pop up and change the ending and changes in that. You can't do that necessarily and be systematic about it. Um, and so I think maybe that's what we're seeing here is this this sort of duality of, of, of the artist, of, of having to be a citizen of society and yet uh, a citizen of, of, of another country, you know? And, and, that, and I think this also <clears throat> applies to not just artists, but just people who have dreams. So, because I, I think the danger in this would be to be like, oh, you know, this is just for painters, musicians, right, yes. writers, that kind of stuff. But I think we all can identify with having <clears throat> dream, a dream or a series of dreams or a calling or something like that in our life and yet still have that same tension of somebody's knocking at my door and I just started working on my dream and now I have to stop working on my dream to go into the door, you know? And it's like... <laughs> I, think, I think I would amend the statement about... Uh, well, I know, yeah, he's probably saying this. We're probably saying the same thing. When I, when I hear beginning, middle, and end, and, and have that in mind, what I what I think is not so much like 
I've heard this in a different way from like screenwriters and stuff. It's being married to the idea that you had originally. Yes. Like you can have an end in mind, but right. if you're like if you hold that end with a death grip, then what you're going to right. end up doing is you're going to create a, a whole thing that leads up to something that doesn't align with the rest of it. And it's like uh, what did one screenwriter say? He said, "If you, it's like you're assembling an ancient skeleton of a dinosaur, and you get to the end, and you like are about to put the last piece in place, and you realize that what you thought was a stegosaurus is actually a triceratops, and you have to start all over again." Yep. Um, and like, if you have it like, like you hold that loosely, then you kind of <clears throat> are able to develop it. No, we're saying the same thing. So yeah. if, if you if you create a a book or say uh, you see this all the time in, in movies, when they use a literary device simply to move the plot along, you can it's hollow. It doesn't hit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you're just that was a literary device. You needed tension, so you created this this series. You're like, I can't stand it when there's unnecessary. Tension just to move the plot along. It didn't. It didn't happen organically within the characters, parameters, and things yeah. that uh, in that wrestling. So yes, yeah. you see that a lot in TV, especially. Mm -hmm. A lot in TV, um, which can be very frustrating. That's why you have thirty seasons of some shows. <laughs> manufacture scenarios. Yeah. Uh, but no, Randy, I think I think you're right on that, and I think that what what everybody deals with is we have this idea of ourselves, of our future selves. And we want to get there. And so we have an idea of how to get there. And then as we're moving along, well, we're like, I need X amount of dollars to get this one thing, to do this one thing, to do this, to do this, and now I'm going to be this person. And it's like, oh, car broke down. Oh, washing machine broke down. Oh, I actually just got fired from my job because they, you know, they, they like people off. And suddenly, the idea that you had of your future self is no longer attainable. Well, or in this <coughs> case, he pushes time. Yes. The thing that he's yeah. pushing up against and recognizing he's only got so much time. That's right. And, you know, so I think for people with dreams, it's one thing to be a dreamer at 20 years old. Yeah. And be like, here's what I want with my life. It's another thing to be in your mid-30s, where I am. It's another thing to be in your mid-40s or where I 50s. Am. Like, it's just like, you get to 60. <laughs> <laughs> he gets so sort of restricted. No, and that, this last couple of years, I, I've, I've had that notion where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm falling 45. Like, where's the pump the brakes, man? This, this thing's going to. And it's like spring, summer, winter. Oh, oh and we're, we're done. Like that year's gone, and it's like I, ha I didn't do anything. I, I, I missed like I missed every mark that year, and I don't have another year to. Yeah, so you start to tighten up, and then um, yeah, and so do you have time to work on yourself, or do, it's almost like it's almost like you do I work on my dream or do I work on myself? What 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 do I do here? Um, well, that's where experience can. Sometimes, but not always. I'm still learning. Um, get back to what Ruth was talking about, about learning to prioritize yeah. and make better use of the time and the resources you're allotted and such. I'm just, you know, I'm 60. I've been in this world for six decades now. You'd think I'd be further along than what I am, but I'm learning. And, then, and that's that's the good thing, is that no matter how far along the yeah. journey is, you, there's, you can still learn and still apply what you've learned and make better use of the resources you've been given. But that is one lesson that 
It's a lot easier if you learn that lesson earlier in life than later, rather than later. I'm reveling in my 30s, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> Do you think one thing, though, the token is pointing out to is that while you, yes, part of this is about utilizing time wisely, and that's a good message. Like our endeavor world is all about like time management, you know, workflow yeah. management, deep work, all this kind of yes. stuff. Where it seems like there's like book after book after book about how to best like segment out your days. But I think some of what Tolkien is kind of reflecting on for him is the importance of holding that time loosely with your yeah. projects too, yeah. and recognize like you could just go out and for a bicycle ride in, in a rainstorm and that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like in the second, second paragraph there where he says, for one thing he was sometimes just idle and did nothing at all. Yeah. And it reminded me of um, what we read in Madeline Lengel's book about going out and sitting on the rock and just being. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of good to just being. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I a productive person could just say, that's a waste of time. It's but, a constant battle. But, um, but is it? But it, no. Yeah. Because there's a lot that can happen in just being. <coughs> yeah, time's been sharpening the sickle, it's not wasted time. Yeah. And then and then like too I think like you were saying, Randy, holding that time loosely. Like you never know what what the diversion is going to actually bring because it can sometimes bring things that further your dream though you never expected it to in a way and in a way you never would have hoped. Um, and uh, yeah, I already, I mean, already I regret so many times not holding my time loosely and like going to sit with the person or something, you know, um, and, and, and being present for stuff. Uh, I literally am fighting with that right now. Mm. Just got a text. I'm going to have to make a long call tonight. And I'm, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I. But I, I know I'm gonna. I need to do it, and it's an important thing to do. But I really want to go back home and work on stuff. But right. Like I know I need to make this call, and mm -hmm. it's it's a it's like a, like literally lived experience with yeah. this book right now. It's just mm -hmm. like in the middle of this, dude. It's crazy. So along these lines, <clears throat> um, I want to read this. He goes, uh, but for a long time he would not see you. He was not seriously perturbed. At any rate, I shall get this one day, that one picture done, my real picture, before I go on, I have that wretched journey, he used to say. Yet, he was beginning to see that he could not put off his start indefinitely. <clears throat> the picture would have to stop just growing and get finished. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I want to get that. It was, uh, he said he was, he was hoping people would come in and look at it and slap him on the back and say, magnificent, um, we'll arrange for you a public pension. However, that public pension never came. It was, there was no public pension there. So the, the question I, I, I want to hear your response to, if you had no tension, if you had no wrestling, if you had no nu nuisances in your life, and you had someone giving you an endowment of a million dollars to say, do what you want, use, use your time as loosely or as, as, as strenuous as you want, would you make better art?
I don't think I would appreciate it as much without the, the struggle and the wrestle. I, there's one sense that you have the funds that you need, the tools that you need, but in another sense, you just take it for granted after the first year. At least I would. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a good portion of the Scarlet Letter while working for the U.S. Postal Service because he was so bored with his job that he was able to actually have his have his mind his body focused on one thing and his mind could actually go somewhere else and actually and actually do things. Whereas if he had to focus on writing the book the whole time, it, it may be almost like too much freedom and too like you know not enough constraint, not enough tension to actually make you, as Stephen said, appreciate the time that he was getting. And so like you have to steal the moments away so you, you can't waste that. You can't waste that I have this free moment to think about this and it's like you, you get in there and it goes in deep and then you're like, oh I got that. Alright, that was that was worth the, the, the wrestling. And you, could also, you could also point out that even the Tolkien, right? Like both him and Lewis were like classes, you know, got to take these students. It's a big promotioning part of their job where all they really mm -hmm. wanted to do is like sit and read and write and yeah. stuff like that. But had Tolkien not been so bored reading papers that one time that he just sat there and diddled on the paper, there once was a hobby ho list in the hole, <coughs> something along the line. We would have never had any of this. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here reading this, right? And so it's like that boredom which came from the obligation, which was not a pension-filled thing, but an obligatory thing, which he kind of laments a bit for Turgeon, you know? Yes. It's like, that actually is one of the things that compelled his art to get as far as it did. And I don't think, had somebody just said, hey, go do this, that we do it. And any writer will tell you the same thing, like, you know, like, even if somebody's like, here's a book deal, you know, we'll give you like five thousand dollars to go do this in the next month, like procrastination, 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 you know, becomes kind of a game. Yeah. And you still have to have some kind of if you're thinking about a pension it's freedom, total total freedom. You know, right. Or maybe that. I think we think that, but like when I'm when I have something in my brain that I need to write, the panic to get it written before I forget yeah. it, the way that I thought it, is I drop everything. Like that's the holding the star yes, thing. Yes. And you, there's no amount of money that that can move that forward. And so yeah, it helps that you don't have to have a job, but then you have no sense of panic in it mm -hmm. sometimes too. So does it drive you? Yeah, I remember you telling me once about <coughs> film students going to get their masters and stuff sometimes because it was like, yeah, they could do it, but they wouldn't do it without the no, grade, without the, the, the grade and yeah. the obligation and shelling out hundred thousands of dollars for it, you know. Yeah, and there's like this old filmmaking proverb that we like to tell, which is that um, George Lucas, when he was making Star Wars originally. He was so confined by the budget, the studio cut his budget way, way down to like nothing. And it was, and he like had to scrap and 
and like just really try to be very creative and think outside the box and like do all these crazy things with special effects that no one had ever done before just because he had to because he didn't have the money and and then he also had to cut the story down and he wasn't like the studio fought back with him and they're like no you can't do it like that that's not going to work and he was like but i want to like no that's dumb and then they would cut it and so he, he had this struggle for the whole first three and those were triumphs especially the first one and then this the the prequels Studio let him have whatever he want. And we got Char Char. And we got Char Char Mix. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, that's a suggestion. Yes. So, it's just, you know, that creative attention is so important uh, to, to so many artists. And we think we want that freedom from that, but it's, it's kind of like the kite string. Yeah. Right? The kite reaches its optimal purpose by the, by, you say, the wind of imagination, but only if it's tethered. And, and creates tension, then the kite reaches its full potential. And, that's, and we think, ah, oh, if you cut the kite string loose, it would look at the potential it would have. It has the entire sky to to, to uh, flitter about in, but it, but it, without the tension, it doesn't it doesn't work. I've I've learned if I was no, I was a student at EKU on a student seminary. I learned that the two best assignments that I've ever done was because a professor had motivated me and kind of walked me through what I needed to do. So last year I wrote a paper about the beauty and religion. I was in a class where we talked about this. And the professor is like very motivated that there's a student who wanted to cover this very mundane, confusing topic. And so he was really encouraging me. He was really giving me kind of a, a blueprint of what to, what to look at. He's like, you have freedom to look at what you're gonna look at. I don't, I want to look at your draft. I don't do drafts. I'm like, I don't want to look, I don't want to draft. I don't really want to know everything. But it's like, it's like I'm happy someone's doing this. And right now, I'm doing another paper on how democratic values and Christianity is compatible. When I went to my professor about this, he got really giddy. He was more giddy than I was. And uh, ever since our initial conversation, and, and even when I have an idea of, of what to include, he's always emailing me back and forth. He's like, that's a good idea. You should really keep at this. So um, I feel like for me to have that encouragement really kind of motivates me. I, think, I guess I guess I'm trying to, I'm, I'm tired right now, so I'm happy to just operate on near a few. Um, I think that's the idea of inspiration for me, is if someone can motivate me to get over that finish line, I can, I can do it. So, yeah. Awesome. Any other thoughts as we hold our time loosely here in, uh, in the story? I was going to say, what I, this is my first time to read it, and it just felt so subversive because I thought it was going to be about following your heart, let nothing stop you from achieving your dream, and it's like, no, that's not the point. And I guess the point is you've got eternity to to work on it. So, as long as you get started the right direction, that's enough. Yeah. So, so I, 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 yeah, I think that, so this is not a Disney story. No. That's, uh, you know, and just, yeah, just follow your heart. Just, just follow, uh, so, uh, I was, I was watching a little snippet of, of, uh, of a Peterson clip, and he was, he was asking somebody, like, you know, about selfishness. He was talking about selfishness. He said, Selfishness doesn't work on, on, on really any level because you're selfish right now. Are, are you selfish? 
which you were you talking about? Which you is, is being selfish? The you now? The you in 10 seconds? The you in five minutes? The you in a week? The you in five years? Some, so you're going to hurt one of those people is going to have to sacrifice something for possible flourishing. So even selfishness doesn't work on a level of, of ourselves because we, we're not just now. We, we have to see our transcendent us across uh, as far as space as we, as we can go. And so um, it's not this, hey, just follow your heart. Which heart? Which dream? What moment? Emotionally, where are you, where are you at? You know, just, are you going to follow your, your heart when you, you change and you don't want to do that anymore, when you want to procrastinate? Like, we become very fluid at that moment, like, who, who, who am I? What am I? What, what dreams? And um, I guess that's sometimes why, why duty, duty sometimes is the tension that, that grounds us, right? Like, maybe it was the bike rides and taking care of him that actually grounded him so he didn't lose sight of the dream totally. But Wes, you are the ice goddess. You just have to follow your heart to the north, and it will take you there. And then you'll find out that you were actually the ice goddess all along. Yes, the answer is me. Stay tuned for part three. I am the fifth element. I do. I do like. Tell me your name, Jonathan. Jonathan. I do like one of the things. One of the things that like this story reminded me of is a brief observe. Dante, right, where you are playing with the different levels of mm -hmm. Earth, Purgatory, and Heaven here. And <clears throat> we probably maybe focus on that kind of tryout next time. But I think one of the things he's wrestling with is, you know, the ways that we approach both duty and creativity and dream chasing here. And we, we wrap that up in as if there's a finitude that's mm -hmm. there. But he, he's continued, I mean, the journey continues, both in terms of duty and creation in the hereafter. And I think that's like, that can be encouraging to us, yeah. as well as we do our stuff. And sometimes we're like, the clock is running out, the clock is running out. And even he's like, the clock is running out, you know? And I think that there's a bit of a sense of like, it's not, yeah. you know? Like, that's a perceptive element to what you're doing, because you are time-bound to the one reality that you know, but reality is so much bigger there. So there's a big, bigger relationship between reality and creativity and art than we know. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, in Last Samurai when uh, Ken Watanabe, look, the character looks and says, you could spend your entire life looking for the perfect <coughs> lotus blossom. If you saw it, you would not have a wasted life. Yeah. And, and so, I, so I wonder, as, as we look in this room, if you have this project you can't get rid of in your life, if you spent your life pursuing that, but you did not complete it to your ideal likings, would your life have been wasted? Well, my, my interruptions, as they're called in here, have names. <laughs> and I have embraced them as right. beautiful and as worthwhile for me to spend my whole life pursuing. And if I never write the book that I really want to write, I still won this game. Because the three that I have produced and have spent my life working for, they're the best things that have ever happened to mm. me. And I think, like, I'm 
when I'm reading this, I'm going, I really feel you. I feel you so badly. And I wish that you could get your heart intentional to go, Mr. Parrish is worth running after every single day. Bike over there and see what's going on because he's worth it. And I think, like, we're made in the image of God, all of us. We're all worth it. Where, where, where do we get to decide what is the interruption? And I think you look back to what God says about us. So that's just, that's my, I really, really, really would like to write a book. I really do. But. So that, so that is, so pulling on what you, you Randy said, pulling that together and saying, it's our perception of the, of what's, of what's the creation, what's the interruption, what, what, you know, because what we deem an interruption actually could be the thing that, that we're, that we're striving for. And if we leaned into that, the other thing we wanted may also come along with that perception of it. And it may, in, in time it may change and we're like, oh, I, I got that, I got that wrong. I think it's a, it's a reminder of, you know, what the real picture is, right? Or what you really should be working on. Or that this will always be here, but this is, this is right now, you know? Like, the painting will always be there. Mr. whatever his name is, yeah. there right now, you know? The book will always be there. Somehow, as Christians, you would believe in eternity, right? You're raising your kids, you know, is only now, right? And so it's a big reminder for creatives. Because I'll even feel it sometimes, too, where I'm like, you know, my kids, and I'm working on something, and it's like, I'm working on <laughs> you know? And that's the reminder that, you know what, I don't have, I could go out on a bike ride tomorrow, you know, or today, and not come back, you know? And at that point, what would I rather have? Painting or uh, Mr. Parrish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in 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 my life, to get real with you that don't that don't know me, um, I had my heart set on a PhD at at Oxford for C.S. Lewis. So I was going to do the first PhD on C.S. Lewis at, at Oxford University, and didn't get in, and wound up back here. And so for the last three years, I've been climbing around attics. I've been breaking down sheetrock and drywall and painting and farming and mucking stalls and working to put food on the table and, and, and eat myself and going every day, that vision I have keeps slipping away. And if I hold on too tightly, I lose this. And if I hold on to this, I might lose that. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> That's so hard. Yeah, and so like, what do you do? But the family is is the thing, you know. And so, who knows? If I do this well, maybe that comes to the end, or maybe it doesn't. Or maybe it doesn't. And you say it's still a work. Oh yeah, you know, it's still a life well lived. Yeah, and that's that like. Not to push in the psychology, but you know the whole Eric Erickson notion of you know integrating your life. You know, basically like why you know a lot enough older people are grumpy. It's because they actually you know they're looking back on their things that ha- happened or didn't happen, and they spend the, the end of their life regretting them. 
rather than accepting them yeah. as part of who they are or should be in a way that can bring them peace <coughs> generatively. Yeah. Integration. When I came to Ashbury, I, I'm United Methodist, so a lot of my United Methodist friends, they came to Ashbury. And so Ashbury was really the only seminary for me. It was the only seminary in Kentucky, the only seminary close to my family. Um, and I came with a very like romanticized view of the seminary. And so my first year of seminary was like an ideal dream come true. And then the second semester was just hell on earth. Uh, I had an abusive roommate. Um, COVID happened. Uh, the abuse kind of got... It was spiritual and emotional abuse. That's what it was. And it kind of got worse. And I remember the night before Easter, I remember I, I turned, the day before Easter, I turned off all the lights in my room. I was incredibly depressed. I attempted to, to harm myself. I had to pull myself from the danger. And I remember calling my family and I said, I've I packed the stuff that I can fit in my car and I'm coming home tonight. And I think from that day on, I saw a very dark underbelly of religious institutions. And I, I've seen a dream, you know, coming here romanticizing is my fault. That's on me. I had friends in my life who've helped create this romantic view of, of Christian leadership. So part of that's on me, I think. But I think, but I told someone this, I said, I could be bitter for the rest of my life and I could continue hating God and everybody who sent me to this place. But I said, no matter if I say it the seminary or if I or if I leave, I said, I'm thankful for the few good things that happened here. I'm thankful that I've met incredible friends. I'm happy that I found some sense of community despite the fact that it largely came off campus. I have a few I have a few on campus friends that we have very strong views about our um, time in Ashbury. Um, and I've had to learn how to be comfortable with the death of dreams and what comes after the death, what resurrects differently from that. And so for me, what's came to, what, I don't want to use that term, what's been on my mind here in the past few, the past year or so is, I still like applied theology. I like theology that actually helps me see the world and helps me interact with people outside the four walls of the church. That's why I love working at a public library. I interact with people in the real world, as I call it. I don't have to worry about academic theology. I don't have to worry about um, any of that. I get to see how people think about the church and how they and how that how that influences me um, and so I've been thinking about you know maybe serving in, in an official church capacity isn't for me but maybe serving in a position that helps people maybe public theology is I've learned that public theology is my niche what if there's a future in that what if there's a future and uh, been doing some work in public advocacy within the United Methodist Church or something. So I think I've learned that despite the fact that I'm 25 years old and I'm not in my 30s or 40s. I've had to learn how to be okay with the death of a dream 
but not allow the death to make me bitter 24-7. When, when I went home this Christmas, I remember thinking, this Christmas is not going to be different. I was very much on the hinges of, I'm okay being a very nominal Christian with a very nominal Christian background. And I went home. My family, they know everything. Um, and I went home. I had you know, my suitcase, had my gifts and everything. And what was weird about this Christmas is I actually kind of felt like, like real, like a real Christmas story, if that makes sense. Like I felt reassured that it was going to be okay in the long run, despite the doubts that I had. And I was talking to a professor today, and I said, I don't feel angsty as I once did before Christmas. I feel pretty calm about stuff. But I think that's that's something I've had to learn is that it's okay to be okay with the death of a journey. Mm -hmm. Something does come out of it. You just have to watch and see. So, sorry for too much information, but there had to get some context given to what I was about to say. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a, that's a dream girl with personal. Yeah. yeah. And usually there's hurt too, so. One of the good things that has come out of being back here is this <coughs> three years, roughly. You know, going in the summer will be three years that we've been doing VFF. And mentioned about a place, you know, that people can come to that may not feel the church is giving them a platform to, to wrestle ask questions and you know it's 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 silly to say but I always say bring your personal heresies and your vices because that's what the inklings did and you're like well why is that important because look at what came out of the inklings people who, who people who were in that sphere who weren't afraid to wrestle what came out of it Dorothy Sayers C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Barfield, Charles Williams, and it was some amazing, amazing stuff came out of that. And so if we can come in here and we can wrestle, we can challenge each other, we can learn to ask better questions, not only will our art get better, hopefully, but also our, our, our ability to, to tackle things in life will get better because we, we know that I can ask this question, I can push back, I can wrestle, or, um, I'm going to present this idea, and, and oh, you know what? Somebody really helped clear that up for me. You know, I, I said something, and, and Ruth said, "No way, that's not right." And we <laughs> probably, <laughs> and, and and I was like, you know what? Actually, that was really good. That was really helpful. And so we, that's what this, that's what this, this is what this group's about. It's about us wrestling because the the theological spectrums here are vast <laughs> in this room. I mean, they are vast. Yes, they are. Um, but. What better place? A better place to test out your theology and your philosophy than a group of people who, who are willing to go, I don't know, I'm not, 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 I'm not buying it, but sell me on it, you know? Um, and then we're able to go, you know what? Actually, I like what you said there. Let me grab that and put that in. I'll, oh, I can work that into my philosophy, my theology now. Oh, I see it better. I see it more clearly. <clears throat> and so um, I think we're all, in a sense, Niggles, and I think we're all in a sense parishes, and we're, we're, we're the whole spectrum at times. And um, this is a good way for us to reflect on ourselves. 
and reflect on, on our purpose and, and our mission. And just know that, um, you know, one of the things that happened to, to me in the, over this, the course of the pandemic and stuff was, I mean, social media is just replete with, with just people demanding a response. Like, you feel like you need to respond. And this happened, I, I was, back in 2016, 2017, 2018, I was really big into politics. Like, I was, I actually was working on a podcast and they called God and Politics. Like, I was really into the political sphere. <clears throat> and I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me one day, I've got that covered. In a sense, like, there's people out there to talk about that. You don't have to do it. I've, I, I want you to do this. But I'm like, but there's questions out there that demand answers, and I feel like I should be, and he's like, no, 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 I, I have something else for you. I don't want you doing that. But everything's going to, everything's slipping away, everything's going to, no, I'm going, you know, there'll be no notoriety, I won't be you know, known or seen. I was like, if I'm working over here for three years, you know, and no one sees it, no one to pat me on the back or give me a stipend or a pension, how, how, how am I going to make it? And he's like, I have something for you. You just trust me and walk this way. I think a big problem, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I think a big problem right now in the church is we have a lot of people who want the pension and the no robbery, but they don't they don't want to show up and do the lot Monday stuff. I've learned that from people, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she came to me and you know, I've also I also follow politics. And she said, my, my professor said this and she seemed very her life had changed, and I said, everyone knows that. And she said, what do you mean everyone knows that? I said, well, if you watch the news, everyone knows that. And she said, but the professor made it, you know, she's like, the professor made it seem like it was new, like groundbreaking evidence. And I said, no, it's not groundbreaking. I know that. The regular Joe down the street knows that. They watch the news, and I, I learned that even at places of higher education, like sometimes there are people who are still want the no rowdy, but they don't want to show up and do the Monday And I think that's something that's currently haunting the church. I think that's why we have this Christian celebrity mess right now. Too many people want the fact. And I don't think God wants, I don't think God wants his servants or his leaders in famous circles. I think he wants them doing regular Joe stuff. That makes any sense. Any thoughts as we any other thoughts as we wrap <clears throat> we wrap up this week? I was gonna mention um Nagel seems to have an either or mindset and that doesn't make sense. Like you were talking about the kite, you need both and mm -hmm. so the art informs your life your life informs your art however you want to describe it. So, you know, you don't write a book in a day, but surely you write a sentence a day, or maybe not every day, but if all you write in a day is a sentence, that's progress. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that can be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and just, yeah, that, that step forward. Mm -hmm. just, um, James Joyce, the, the story uh, about James Joyce was, that's probably more of a myth and legend than, than real, but... He, uh, he came in from writing for the day, and his wife said, how'd you do? Well, I had a pretty good, pretty good day. I wrote seven words. 
And uh, she goes, well, that's, that's better. That's great. You usually only write five. He says, yeah, but we're the right seven. You know? <laughs> so um, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, you know, just paint a leaf. You know, just, just move on. Have a thought. At least take the time to have a thought about the thing that you're supposed to be thinking about. And, and, and maybe you'll have a star moment where you have to drop everything and then it just illuminates. And uh, if, you give your, if you give yourself opportunity to invite the muse in, at some point she's going to punch the dance card and come dance with you. And it's going to be amazing. Um, and I know for me, just just a few minutes with the muse and I, I, I just that's like it's that's amazing just just to have just to have a a poem or a thought just handed to you and you're just dictating this thing and it's just like you slow down slow down what's you know I can't I can't get it all down and quick enough and then you're like and you go back and you reread it and you're like I know this is me I, I, this is this is way better than I can write how, how did this come out of you know my hand like I didn't do this doesn't uh, it make you want to dance like just jump up and down. Oh yeah, and dance, like, my journals are foreign to me. I have no idea. Yeah, it's like who wrote this? This is really good. <laughs> Gets you through a lot of the slog later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Tolkien said he he didn't write Narnia. He was given Narnia. Narnia. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. So a friend of mine sent this uh, on Facebook. You can always edit a bad page. You can't edit. A blank page. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's, I, I'm more of a Stephen King writer than a James Joyce. I'll throw 20,000 words on a page. Um, now, I don't know if they're any good or not. And I'll, I'll spend weeks and weeks re, you know, moving stuff around, editing, and then chopping it all up. But I'm definitely a stream of consciousness writer where I just sit down and like, just, I just type as much as, as will, will come out and then go about it. Which means editing is a nightmare. Editing is it because when I start when I, when I start cutting and piecing, there's fragments all over the place because I move this piece, I move that piece down, and I, sentences are all messed up. I'm like, up. what are you saying in this sentence? Like, it doesn't well, make I, sense. I moved it from down here up there. <laughs> it does to me. Yeah. So, um, are we doing this just this one week? Or are we doing? No, we'll, we'll, we're going to touch base because there, there's a there's a. In here. We, I think we did five yeah, weeks on this last last time. Okay, yeah. good. What? I, I don't think we need five weeks. No. Like, oh, that's awesome. Through that, I thought these yeah. people are aggressive because yeah. you got through the road and like I was like, okay, so this must be a one week thing. How are they going to do that? Too. So no, we we did. Uh, okay. okay. That, that that adjusts my expectations. Good, good. Like, you're like, like, so I'm like, I haven't even gotten to my first notes. We just skimmed. We just skimmed. No, 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 no. This okay. will be. Uh, I'm good. We'll we'll do next week, and if you still got stuff to say, we'll do a third week. Cool. Yeah. No, uh, we were. I was just getting the temperature. We have a lot of new people here, and so I want to see how uh, you guys. Did you want more time to write? <laughs> Nina, Nina, Nina's sensibilities cannot handle this, <laughs> this like, reality. A fourth week of darkness? I don't know. <laughs> I was good with the like actual, let's talk about the literary devices <laughs> at the end. I'm good. No, we, we'll, we'll, do, uh, we'll do a couple weeks on this, and then, and then we'll move on. Um, so what is the longest we've spent on a, 
Oh, well, I feel like the sci-fi trilogy we spent a lot of time on. Yeah, we spent, because we spent the, the months on the sci-fi trilogy. Yeah. But, so, we, I think we spent four or five weeks on Solzhenitsyn's Nobel Peace Prize lecture. And it's yeah. only 38 pages. Really? I don't remember that. that was oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, I do remember a number. It, it was four or five weeks. Because I might have missed a couple. It yeah, was, one, it's yeah. so dense. You, you, you would read a couple paragraphs and it would be like just discussion because there's so much packed You just want to cry when you start reading it. He's so amazing. And it's, well, this is translated. He, he packed a lifetime of, of, of wisdom into 38 pages where he didn't waste a word in 38 pages of, of his entire life. And he's like, you couldn't get a, you couldn't get a piece of paper between the, the ideas he's presenting. Yeah. Wow. So. What was it called? Somebody who's a very gifted writer, a young gifted writer, writes a sentence. It's good. You're like, oh, that's a good sentence. When there's somebody who's had lived experience and they've had ages on them and, and they, they pack a lifetime into a similar <coughs> sentence, when you read it, it's like it's heavier, it's weightier, there's earned wisdom in that. And you're like, oh, this is, I should pay attention to this. There's, there's something being said here. And uh, that's basically the entire Nobel Prize lecture. It's just, it's just weighty. Um, and and uh, so after that, uh, I, we hadn't decided after that, had we, on what you guys want to do after, after leave. Have you guys done the great divorce? Yes. It's too bad. Yeah, we... It's been a while. Because it's a good companion. Yeah, it's a good companion. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's how we did it last time. We did the oh, did great you? divorse. Okay, so Transposition, and way to glory. Thinking your thoughts after you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right there with us. That was your one. Yeah. 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 One. yeah. And then we did way to glory in between all these as well. Yeah. Uh, that's what we talked about doing again was... Way to glory and transposition and those. I need them anyways. Did yeah. we do all of way to glory? No, we just didn't the essay or the book. Uh, the book, like the all the essays, no, we, all we, the uh, uh, sermons, and the. We just didn't wait a glory in transposition, and uh, we didn't do we learning. We should do a couple other. There's learning in wartime, which is awesome. East theology poetry is a good one. That's that's fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, I'm up for anything. Um, I I thought another another way to go is we could do um, uh, till we have faces, but. I don't. <clears throat> I, I'm up, I'm up for doing the great divorce if everybody wants to do the great divorce. So why don't you go on uh, when you get the email? Just say if you want to do the great divorce. If I get enough people saying great divorce, that's what we'll do. If not, we'll. Uh, I'll give you a couple options, and you just send back which one that you uh, that you guys want to do. This is where we need the Instagram uh, poll. Poll. <laughs> yeah. Click yes or no. So that'll be one way for us to. Um, 
to go back. I don't. I say I. I don't care. This this group is is for everybody. Uh, not just not just me telling you what we should we should do. I want I want to be beneficial. If you guys want to go through great divorce again, I love it. I read it. You know, That's my favorite. Lois. Once like once a year, and it's just because of the great divorce. Theologically, I lean towards inclusivism. I just I think it makes sense, and possibly annihilationism. So, there's some good some good thoughts to wrestle out. Um, but so we have death, we have heaven, we have hell, all those kind of things that we want to go with. So let me know what you guys think about that. Are you guys enjoying Leaf? Is it your first time reading it? First time. Okay, yeah. I read it in a day. So I need to reread it and sleep on it. I think it stirred me more this time. Every time I read Leaf by Nigel and I get to the the end towards the end of it, I weep like a little baby, and I j it just just un basically un un the undoing of me um, every time. I felt that in the beginning of it this time, just because really? I think because I I kind of know where it's going now, and because yeah. the first time I read it, as I told you guys, I didn't quite get it all at first until everyone explained everything. But this time reading it, I kind of feel the longing inside of him. And I think that's what I'm relating to the most right now is his longing and his his desperation to to figure something out. He's not quite sure what he's trying to figure out, um, and his unsettledness. Just I just I think I'm relating to that, so it makes me feel those emotions more in the beginning right now. When I read it. It was a trough season anyway, so it was more relatable to me. So I'm not in that now, but I can still remember what I was going through, and also so. Well, bring your bring excerpts that we want. So here's what I would, this is what I think would be beneficial: is find the excerpts that you want, read it, and then give us your exegetical thoughts or your eisegetical thoughts. Either one, we'll we'll accept both. <laughs> And that way everybody gets to wrestle with the same context. So uh, if not, I'm going to come with a bunch of quotes next time, excerpts, and you'll have to just deal with what I have. So We really uh, did read. We read it out loud. We, we read it. We read it. Yeah. yeah, we read We did a couple things like that. We did Transposition like that. We did Weight of Glory like that. We did Beowulf. Lead by Niggle. We did Beowulf like that. <laughs> I think it will work well. We'll just bring our excerpts, though, and, get yeah. and, and hash it out. It's, yeah, it gives everyone a chance to talk about it. Yeah, that's that's what that's probably what we'll do now. Again, if you don't do it, I'll bring mine, and you'll have to suffer through everything that I want to talk about. <laughs> so I don't know if you want that or not. All right, so guys, thank you so much for this. is so cool. Um, the the group has grown, and um, it's 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 morphing. I, I figure we'll probably be in a constant state of flux. Always people coming and going, and I just hope that the doors are. Always going to be open. We might need to get a new venue soon, which that's we, we outgrow this one. Maybe we, just, maybe we just get ready to build on. Just yeah. overflow. We, we have access to. Oh, over, we have the overflow room in there. <laughs> Let's put a speaker out there. Oh, put a TV screen. Oh, they screen out there. That's not fair. Set that up, right? <laughs> We, we have some magical plums about this. But thank you guys so much for coming tonight. This is this is so much fun. Uh, I'm glad that 
this is not a part of my my last three years that I have ever seen as a burden or I have this has been the, one of the highlights of my week coming on Mondays and knowing that I get to come and just wrestle out great literature with people. And so it's cool. Thank you guys so much. Further up. Further in.